Well, as you know, I, uh, I was, had a sabbatical the entire month of July. It was wonderful. I uh, really got a lot of rest. I think I'm as rested as I've been since the 90s. Uh, I uh, had a lot of good time with the Lord, spent time in North Carolina up in the mountains, and uh, we'd be glad to share any details with you uh, of that, but I'm not going to bore everybody. Uh, I could talk about it for hours, but I'm not going to. Uh, on my way to North Carolina, Bianca and I, we drove through Tennessee, because that's how you get there, and because Tennessee is the most wonderful state of them all. And uh, we stopped and saw friends all along the way. We saw friends in Memphis, we saw friends in Nashville. And uh, one of those nights, we, we ate dinner with her brother-in-law, her brother, sister-in-law, and her two nieces. And, uh, and they're, they're so fun. I love getting together with them, because they're so fun. And these two nieces, both of them are in their 40s now. They're almost as old as Bianca. And um, that's actually true. Uh, anyway, they are. Just trust me. They're only eight years younger than Bianca. And um, they were converted as teenagers, uh, which is always interesting because that means that by now they've been Christians for 25 years, but there's still things that they kind of didn't learn uh, when they were younger. And, um, and they haven't learned them since. And so they're, after an hour and a half at the dinner table and, and, and one and a half pitchers, they started just peppering me with questions. Just peppering me. And, and the, you know, is, is the God of the Old Testament good? Well, if he's good, then why did he have to crucify Jesus? Well, if he's good, then why did he build the hell? If he's good, then why is life so hard? And just bam, 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 bam. And I said, you know what? I'm going to make a whole sermon series out of this dinner. And, and so that's what we're doing this, this month. I'm taking their questions, and we're going to go through them one by one, and they're watching on YouTube, and they're going to be texting in more questions, and you can text in more questions. And after the sermon, I'm going to grab my stool, and I'm going to sit there and answer questions until you all get up and leave. And uh, because I think that's fun to do, and I think you need to do it. And we're going to start with this first question. Is the God of the Old Testament good? Now, why do they ask that question? You ask that question because the stories you hear about him are scary. He sent a flood and killed everybody. He dwells on a mountain filled with smoke and, and thunder and lightning, and he gives laws, and he punishes the people who don't keep those laws. And then you ask that question because the evangelism tactics that most people use are terrible. And they paint scary pictures of hell, and they paint scary pictures of God who's just dying to throw you in hell. Uh, you know, and, and this has been an American tradition ever since the uh, 17th century. I mean, Jonathan Edwards painted a picture of, of us being spiders being held above a fire on, by a thin web and, and God there with the scissors just ready to cut them. And, and Jesus jumped in the way. It's, it's this, this picture of evangelism where God the Father has got this baseball full of angry, violent judgment and he hurls it at us and Jesus jumped in the way and let the baseball hit him. And that's not in any way, shape, or form the true gospel, but it gets people to you know, say, well, do you want Jesus to take the baseball? Or do you want to take it? Like, Jesus. And uh, we don't want to be left in the hands of an angry God. And so that we, we're faced with this caricature that is not 
not only is it not fair, it's just not true. And so let's, let's look at this te- question. And, and the way we're going to look at this question is by going to the Old Testament and seeing how the Old Testament actually describes God. And we're doing that from Psalm 103. And if you're really quick, as I know some of you are, uh, you probably noticed that our call to worship was from Psalm 103. Our uh, second, our first song was Psalm 103. Our uh, assurance of pardon after our confession of sin was Psalm 103. Now we're going to read the rest of it uh, now. So please stand with me as we read Psalm 103, uh, verses 15 through 22, and we're asking that question, is God good? Is the God of the Old Testament specifically Is he good? Hear the word of the Lord. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower on the field. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, you hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You may be seated. Is the God of the Old Testament good? I don't think I've ever told y'all this, but I grew up across the street from a witch. Um, She uh, she lived actually kind of across this field, but there were no fences in my in my town, and so you could see everyone's house. And she lived in this old house that was steadily just kind of decaying. And every time I ever saw her, she had this huge bonnet on that covered her face. And I wasn't sure, but I I thought at the time she was 140 years old. And every time she came out of the house, every inch of her body would be covered, long sleeve dress, gloves, and she would only be in the garden. The only time she would ever talk to us was to yell at us to slow down on our bicycles as we went by our house. And we were terrified. We were so scared that actually you proved your bravery in my neighborhood by going into your yard, to her yard. And one person proved his bravery by going into her yard and throwing a rock through her window. And he was the first person I ever saw get pulled by his ear as his mother took him up to that house to meet the witch. I was so scared for him. And one day, I was very scared to find out that my mother sent me to her house, sent me to Miss Stevenson's house to work for her. And I said, Mother, doesn't she eat little boys? And she said, you're being ridiculous, go. And so I went over there with much fear and trepidation. It took me like 30 minutes to get across the yard. And, and finally I knocked on the door and she came out with her bonnet and her, and her dress and her gloves. And she said, did you bring gloves? And I said, no. And, and what happened over the rest of the day was just fascinating to me. She handed me gloves and she told me, showed me how to pick vegetables from the garden. And she showed me how to weed gardens with, your, with a spade in one hand so you got the roots. And, and she showed me how to 
you know, turn leaves into compost. And, and she was so sweet and so gentle. And she took me in the house and she gave me, you know, Coca-Cola and the, and the old green bottles. And she made pimento and cheese sandwiches. And she told me stories of what it was like when she was a child. And, and at the end of the day, after working all day in the hot sun, she gave me a quarter, which was a lot of money to her. Um, she wasn't mean. I went home and I said, Mom, she wasn't mean. And my mom said, I know she's never been mean. You just didn't know her. And that's really what's true about our Lord. We, he's never been mean. We just don't know him. You see, there's not a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. There's just God. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what he is. He is the definition of love. He is actually the definition of what is good and what's not. The more something is like him, the better it is. The more something is the opposite of him, the more evil it is. He is goodness. He is beauty. He is truth. He is love. That is what he is. Uh, you can see that in creation. You don't have to get really far into the Bible to see how good God is. You only have to open it. Page one, if you want to emphasize something, you do two things, right? One, you say it first. And two, you say it over and over. So what does God say first and over and over in the Bible? He says he made the sun and separated the sun from the light from the darkness. And what? It was good. And he made the earth. And what? It was good. And he made dry land, and he said it was good. And he made trees and bushes and animals, and he said they were good. And he made fishes and birds, and he said they were good. And then he made man and, and woman, and he said they were very good. It's good, 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 very good. Do you think he had a point? You can trust me. Have you ever just kind of reflected on how good life is? Have you ever just reflected on how much better God made this world than he had to? And let's just kind of go through it. He needed to give his eyes. Eyes are helpful. He didn't want us bumping into things. But he didn't have to give us sunsets. He didn't have to give us the ocean. He didn't have to give us wildflowers just growing like weeds. He's good. Hey, I guess he needed to make us able to nourish ourselves because life would be kind of boring if we didn't eat. But he didn't have to give us chocolate. He didn't have to give us ice cream. He's just good like that. He, he gave us this ability to feel so that when, when we put our hands on hot stoves, it hurts, right? But he, he didn't have to give us soft skin that feels so good when it touches another's skin. And he didn't have to hook up our endorphins to our skin so that that just a hug or a touch awakens part of our brains and makes us feel loved. He's good. I guess he wanted us to breathe. I, don't, I guess there's possible that we wouldn't have had to breathe, but he wanted us to breathe, and that was nice of him. He didn't have to make us able to smell. He didn't have to give us the smell of donuts or roses or bacon and eggs. Just think of all the things he didn't have to give us. It's just better than it had to be. 
The entire world is better than it had to be. And that's not even, that's not even getting into the, the depth of it. He gave us imagination so that we can dream and, and imagine a better place and actually work to make our world into a better place. And, and he gave us love. He didn't have to. But he is love and he wanted us to experience it. I got the, had the pleasure of doing uh, my son's wedding last September, October, first weekend in October. And uh, it was just, you know, my son's very introverted, so there were only eight people invited, and uh, it was very sweet. And after I pronounced them man and wife, uh, they had already kissed, but he just fell on her in an embrace. I've never, I've done hundreds of weddings. I've never seen this. He just fell on her and was hugging her, and tears started trickling out of his eyes. It was more than I can stand. He didn't, God didn't have to make us like that. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that, that feeling of being embraced and being loved and, and just being cherished and feeling safe and feeling beautiful and feeling just things, security beyond measure and, and just warmth from the inside? Have you ever felt that? Do you know why it feels so good? Because God and his son have been experiencing that every moment of eternity. And he's created you for it. Because he's good. And he wants you to enjoy it. He, he made a world filled with, <laughs> that whenever we see kindness or joy or panda bears, we just, we just laugh. We just laugh. God's good. He made a good world. And there's part of us that even as we reflect on that, because we don't trust God, we imagine that he doesn't want us to enjoy it. I mean, the, the ideas, the thoughts we have about God are so awful, so abusive. When, uh, when my oldest son uh, turns 10, I, uh, he's funny, he's a funny kid because all he really wants is like a box of Legos and to be left alone. That's pretty much it at that age and now, actually. Um, and so it's hard to buy birthday gifts for him because literally he doesn't want anything. And I so badly wanted to give him a birthday present and that I literally took him into Toys R Us and I walked around with him for 30 minutes, making sure he saw everything in there. From the video games to the teddy bears, we missed nothing. Radio controlled cars, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, Legos, Connects, everything. And I said, son, is there anything in here you want? And he, he was so excited, he started stuttering. And I said, no! You get none of it. You haven't been good enough. I just wanted you to see all the stuff you can't have. Took him out. I didn't do that. That'd be terrible, right? Nobody would do that. Can you even imagine somebody being that heartless to do that? Then why do you think God has done that? Why do you think God has put you in the middle of a beautiful world and told you you can't enjoy it? 
Why do you think that he has given the good stuff to everybody else? Why can't you believe Psalm 84 when it says, no good thing will he, will he withhold from those who love him? And therefore, everything the Lord's withheld from you is bad for you, it's poison for you. Why can't we believe that? You see, we, he, he gave us his law, and the reason why he gave us his law is because the world that he made for us is so good that honestly, with our sinful hearts, we're not able to enjoy it without becoming slaves to it. And so he gave us his law so that we could enjoy food and, and drink and, uh, and sex and marriage and worship without becoming slaves to it. We could work without becoming slaves to it. I mean, just look at his law. He gave us uh, laws to protect our souls by telling us, telling us not to worship anything but him. He gave us laws to protect our, our bodies by saying, no, you can't work seven days in a row. You have to rest. You're designed to rest. He gave us laws to protect our communities because you can't have a community where there is stealing and killing and adultery running rampant. You can't have it. We're like, we're, we're, well, honestly, you're a lot like my dog. We, we, Glad, I have a, dog, a Welsh terrier named Gladys, and she's the worst dog in the world. She's awful. And um, one of the things she does that's awful is when I open the door, she runs for it. And I can't get her to not do that. And I put her on a leash. And when I put her on a leash, especially uh, the walking path we go on crosses 101st. And 101st has a lot of traffic on it sometimes. And she just starts pulling at that leash. I mean, she's just like, ah, ah, let me go. I mean, she weighs five pounds, so it's really not that big. But she's like, ah, straining at the leash. And I'm just looking at her going, if I were to let go of this leash, you would get run over in one second. You're just dying to get out in that road and die. Why are you straining to go die so hard? And that's what we're like when we, we pull away from God's law and we don't trust him. It's like we're trying to jump out into the, street and die. He's, his word is good. That's why he, he makes us new so that we don't want to get away from his law anymore. God is good. He's good in the way he has structured creation and so much so that actually we make him happy when we enjoy it. God is good and he shows his goodness by, by keeping by keeping law and order in place so that we're able to grow in a safe place. We call that his providence. It's by his restraining grace that the world is not as bad as it could be. That there's great evil out there, but the Lord is at work constantly holding it back and more and more pushing it back so that this world becomes safe and a place where we can grow and enjoy him. And, and he even... Uh, let's just read through it. If you got, look at the, uh, the call to worship. Ble- uh, starting with verse two. Bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity and redeems your life from the pit. He turns evil into good. H- how many of us can look back over our lives and say our worst day was the beginning of our best life? 
I have a friend who wrote me that the worst thing that ever happened to him was when he woke up the day after attempting suicide. So sad he failed. And he had nothing in the hospital. No one was allowed to come and visit him. All he had was his memories of growing up in the church. And that's when he began truly seeking Jesus. And that's when his life began. That's when he began to enjoy the Lord for the first time. God had turned something evil into good. Who, for, who forgives or who heals, who heals all our diseases. Now, you all, you all immediately started thinking of cancer when I said that, right? But let's, let's think about this for a second. How many of you got COVID? More of you got COVID than that. Raise your hand if you got COVID. Okay, how many of you died from it? Right? Why? Why not? You don't know why not. The Lord healed that in you. He healed it. How many of you thanked the Lord for healing you from a disease that could have killed you? Uh, The flu, we get it every year. It's kind of like a week off work. It's killed millions. The Lord is at work healing us, maintaining our life. He redeems our life from the pit. He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy and satisfies you with good things. That's the Lord acting with the gentleness of a father, providing for his children. And I want you to, are you beginning to see why this is important? It's important because if you don't understand the goodness of God, then when life turns hard, when the path of life takes you through the hospital, to the funeral home, and someone asks you to turn to God, why would you want to turn to a God you don't trust? If you're trying to raise your children in the love and admonition of the Lord, then how can you raise them to love a God that you don't trust? And you end up treating your friends and your children the way you believe God has treated you. And if you believe he's been harsh and withholding and and punishing and he doesn't do anything but punish and and slap us when we get out of line, then you're going to raise your children like that. Uh, One philosopher uh, said, um, the worst thing in life is not to have parents who are atheists. He said, the worst thing a child can have is parents who claim to follow Jesus but do not trust God as a good father. Do you trust him as good? He's good in his creation. He is good in his uh, providence. You can trust him to walk with you through the valley of deep darkness. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to turn bitter And most importantly, you do not have to die the thousand deaths of guilt and shame. You don't have to. Because out of God's goodness, he forgives. I love the way this text says it. He does not chide or hold his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He, he crowns us with steadfast mercy. He has steadfast love toward those who fear him. It's a, 
It's a word that describes us pursuing, never failing, never stopping, always seeking love. He's not standing in heaven with his arms folded saying, if you want me, come and get me. He is coming to us with his love and his grace. He is so gracious that it's a problem. He's so gracious that it made Jonah sick. You remember the story of Jonah? And he goes up on the mountain, he hates Nineveh. He hates it. And he's waiting to see God destroy it. And God doesn't destroy it. And he raises his hands and he says, See? I knew you weren't going to give them justice. I knew you weren't going to destroy them. And God says, Jonah, how can I not have mercy on a city of 300,000 people and much cattle? Our God saved Nineveh because he loves cows. Isn't it amazing to have a God like that? A God who is looking for an excuse to forgive? A God who is looking for a reason to be gracious? What is my, how does Micah describe him? Micah says, who is a God like you forgiving transgressions, iniquity, and sin? You will not withhold your anger forever. Because you delight to show mercy. He delights in it. He makes God happy when you ask him for forgiveness. It makes God happy when you come to him. He's like, he sees our, our sin like sickness. You know, what father is there among you who when a, your child is sick, sends them back, slaps them and sends them back to bed? What do you do? You gather them up in your arms I remember when Harold was little, it seems like he had strep throat 100% of the time. And he felt, I remember one Sunday, he just felt so terrible. And I, I put him in my lap and I just held him. Because it was the only thing that would make him feel better was being held. And I could feel the sickness coming in me. Right? It's like, I am getting sicker by the second. And I was, boy, I was sick. And this but he's my son. And that's how God looks upon us. He sees our, our sickness, our sin as sickness. He says, the, the healthy, the righteous don't need a physician. I've come to the sick. And he lets our sickness get in him because his antibodies can destroy it. That's what he's like. He, the God of the Old Testament is the God who didn't throw a fastball of anger at us that Jesus accidentally caught. The God of the Old Testament is the God who loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. He's the giving God. He's making the sacrifice to save us. He gave his son. The God of the Old Testament is the God who did not, did not withhold his own son, so how will he not with him give us all things? He's the God who, the only thing he could possibly have given us that would have hurt him or cost him was himself. And that's what he gave. That's the God of forgiveness. That's the God of grace. And, and, and the beautiful thing about him is that we have the ability to make him happy. Do you know that? 
Look at the first and last verse of this, this whole, if you had the whole thing in front of you. It starts out, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that was within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And it ends with, bless the Lord, you his angels. Bless the Lord, all his hosts. Bless his place, the Lord, all his works. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, what does the word bless mean? You know, somebody at some point has told you in Sunday school what the word bless means. Right. It means to make happy. Make happy. Blessed are the peacemakers. Happy are the peacemakers. We make God happy. We bless him. You don't think of it going that direction, right? We always think of God bless America. We don't think of America bless God. We don't think of us as blessing him. We make God happy when we enjoy his gifts. Like when a parent gives a toy to a child, you you make your parent happy when you play with it. We make God happy when we receive his forgiveness. We make God happy when we enjoy his benefits. And, And I invite you now, make God happy. Receive his forgiveness. Make him happy. Dance in his grace. Make him happy. Trust him and come to Jesus. Please pray with me. Father, thank you so much for being such a good and loving father. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes. We know that the world and sin and Satan, they want us to think awful thoughts of you. They want us to not trust you. They want us to believe that you're dangerous and you're angry and you're, you're hurtful. Father, forgive us for those thoughts. And Father, give us the grace to come to you and, and test your goodness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now the band's going to come and lead us uh, singing this song from Depths of Woe. It's a great song to remind us of how God did redeem our lives from the pit. And while they're doing that, you're welcome to text your questions in, and, uh, and I'll do my best. So please stand as we sing from Depths of Woe. sit down if you want to. You can leave if you want to. I won't be offended. Um, But let's kind of push through the questions that we got so far. Um, Y'all are good. You ask all the questions I expected. Um, So let's just go through them one at a time. And I'm usually used to, I had people kind of filtering the questions and getting all the hard ones out, but I'm just going to plow through. So uh, let's see. First, should we assume that those in the world who have never known God or heard the gospel are going to hell because they haven't accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior? What are we supposed to think or do with that teaching when put in that context? Um, You thought you got me, didn't you? Um, I'm going to preach a whole sermon on hell uh, probably next week. So uh, with that as a little bit of a primer, I will say this. God is a standard of justice. And he is going to do the right thing. Uh, Romans 2 says, for those who have not heard the gospel, uh, they are going to be judged according to their works. And that is what is going to happen. Now, uh, I'm not good enough to tell you. Some people think they are good enough and wise enough to tell you how God's going to judge everybody. I don't assume that. 
I'm telling you, Romans 2 says, those who die apart from the law will be judged according to their works. Well, how can you judge them according to the works if they don't know the law? Well, it's, it's as if God holds a tape recorder up to them their whole life. He says he, he judges them according to their own consciences. So if they've condemned somebody else for lying and then they've told a lie, well, then they've broken the law they knew. Does that make sense? Um, so that's one part of it. God's going to judge people justly. He's going to punish people justly. And this is a big problem we have um, because we have this idea, and again, it goes back to just terrible, um, you know, just terrible evangelism tactics like building hell houses and things like that and uh, showing people how, you know, that, that hell is this eternal place of torture and torment, and it's the same for everybody, whether you tell a lie or, you know, take a machete into a kindergarten and kill everybody there. Both people, right, you get the same. That's not true. That's not true by any, there's, that's nowhere in the Bible. The Bible says uh, those who know the law and don't keep it will be beaten with many strokes. Those who don't know the law will be beaten with few. The, the, the judgment's not going to be the same for everybody, and we have to trust we, you have to trust God with that. Um, so that's, uh, that's, what, that's my short answer to that. Again, I'm going to, I'll preach the whole sermon on that next week, but uh, that is, um, that's the short answer to that. Next, why does it feel as if God keeps throwing baseballs at your chest over and over to the point that you can't take it? Uh, it feels as if God wants you to suffer constantly. Um, the... I mean, there's a lot that I want to say to this. It's, I get it. I get the sadness of life. I really do. August 6th, yesterday is the day both my brother and sister died. It's always a great weekend to see come. I, I, I understand that pain and the pain of loneliness and the pain of depression. I really do. And um, I want you to know, whoever wrote this, that you're not alone. Um, the misunderstanding that we have is that everything that comes to us in this life comes from God's hand. As if the only thing that ever happens to us is God directly acting on us. And that's not true. Uh, the truth is that this world was corrupted by sin and by death. And so every act of pain that comes as a result of evil is a result of sin. And every painful thing that is part of nature, like is part of death coming after us. And God is restraining those things until all of his children are brought home. But this world's always been evil well, since the fall. Uh, I went on vacation two years ago and I was walking through a historic lost, kind of lost graveyard because the community lasts no more. And uh, it was pretty interesting because there's a you know, you know, little guide to the graveyard and it tells stories of a few people who died and one of the stories it tells is of a five-year-old girl whose entire family had a fever. Uh, she was the only one able, healthy enough to go out and gather firewood. It was winter. And so she went out to gather firewood so that her family could live. And um, wolves got, caught her scent and, and started coming after her. And so she climbed a tree. And the wolves stayed under that tree until she froze to death. That's the world we live in. Thankfully, most of us have been spared that kind of pain. But that's the world. We live in a world where a little girl trying to help her family freezes to death. God did not break it. Um, 
It wasn't broken yesterday. It's an awful world. The world, this, this place, it's got good, but it's also got evil. And God is pushing it back, and he sustains us. And he walks with us through the valley of the, of the shadow of death. And, and sometimes it does feel like he's not restraining anything. Uh, but I promise you, if you're still here, if you still believe in the Lord after all the things you've been through, that is a sign that he's alive in you. And he is withholding you. He's, he is upholding you. Uh, and he's with you. Uh, and you can continue to trust him. Uh, there are events in the Old Testament, such as the taking of the firstborn in Egypt, taking the firstborn is something we would not wish. Uh, and in our current cultural context, is considered a war crime. How do we understand uh, events such as these within the greater context of the Bible and of a good God? Uh, again, all right, this is hard. But you have to accept the whole teaching of the Bible, right? You can't just pick and choose events. And the whole teaching of the Bible is that God is just and he's not going to give anybody anything more than they deserve and he can be trusted. He's, he's the, he is the, the standard of justice. So what does that mean? Um, have you ever played the game, you know, would you, would you have killed Hitler if, as a baby if you knew he was going to turn into Hitler? You ever had that conversation? It's kind of a dorm room, freshman in college conversation? Well, the answer is no, because you're a human also, and you don't have the right to take anybody's life unless it's in war or self-defense. Just go with me there. Um, But, um, and you don't have eternal knowledge. You don't have infinite knowledge. Now, God does, okay? Again, you can't, don't just try to believe this one little drop of the Bible without believing the whole thing, right? If the whole Bible is true, then God and God alone can know if these babies live, they're going to do great evil. And if I take them now, they won't. And God and God alone knows what nations are evil. Now, again, most of us who've grown up in suburban America and have never seen true evil don't know what evil looks like. You know, talk to um, soldiers. Talk to people who've gone into uh, pagan countries where there is no grace and see how their women are treated. See how their children are treated. Um, you know, God did eradicate the Canaanites. They were evil. You know what they did? They worshiped Molech. You know how? They would, they had these hollowed out iron uh, statues and they would build a fire in the back of them and, and fan the fire until it was so hot that the iron began to turn white and then they would set their babies in his hands. They were evil. Uh, Again, God and God alone is the only one who can make that decision. But I promise you evil exists. I promise you it exists. And and he he alone knows when the time, he actually tells Abraham, I'm taking you out of Canaan because the sin of the Canaanites is not full. When it fills, I'll come back and give you their land. He, He and he alone 
knows when it's time um, to, re- to remove a nation and to remove people. So that's, that's hard. That's a hard piece of, of the world, of, of the Bible to swallow. I get it. But no, it's not okay for you to do what God and God alone can do. Um, and, and we're going to trust him. Again, if he were going to cast all those babies into an eternal, infinite hell of torture, uh, we would have trouble with that. But I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. Two more things. Did sin corrupt God's good earth? Yes. If so, where do we draw the line between enjoying it because it's good versus enjoying the now evil aspects in it? Um, anything that's good is from the Lord. And so you just have to, it's both. You do both, right? Um, if we push back the, the thorns and the weeds and we don't worship the world, um, and, that's, and that's why God gives us rules about um, gluttony and, and drunkenness and um, fornication and uh, other things that I'm not thinking of right now. Because he knows that if we go too far, we'll end up worshiping it and destroying ourselves. Uh, and, and he wants us to enjoy them uh, without, going, without becoming slaves to them. So, last question. Um, why did God need to create sin? God did not need to create sin. He did not create sin. He allowed sin. And uh, he did that because he fell in love with us. That's the long and the short of the answer. Uh, without sin, you would not exist. Without, I, I mean, I've got a real easy example of that. If my, uh, my, my mom's first husband had not committed adultery, I would not have been uh, the, the child of her second husband. She wouldn't have got divorced and had me. And if she hadn't gotten divorced and had me, I wouldn't have been be here. And God has loved me since the beginning of the universe. He never... You can't have me in a sinless world. Now, you, we will get me in a sinless world once God finishes his work in me, eradicates all my sin, and glorifies my body. That hasn't happened yet. It's going to get better than this. Um, but I could not have been born in a sinless world, and neither could have you. And you, God has loved you since before he even created the world. He fell in love with a sinner like you. I don't know why. You don't either. It's kind of like when a child falls in love with a little pet hamster, and you're like, it's a rat, and the child just loves it so much. You're like, it's a rat. Um, you know, we, we were, we're not anymore, but we were rats when God fell in love with us, and he's making us into beautiful people. All right, thanks for asking hard questions. Um, if, you don't, if you think I, I danced my way off the uh, hook, feel free to keep texting him, and I may or may not text you in response. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You can come back second service if you want to and ask again. Please stand and receive the Lord's benediction. Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is in your midst, and he is mighty to save. He rejoices over you with gladness, he quiets you with his love, and he exults over you with loud singing. Amen.